Yeah, turn uh, to Matthew 16. We are spending four weeks together in a series um, on like the foundational truths of the church. Uh, so we're just spending four weeks in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Uh, it's in these verses. This is the first time that Jesus spoke about the church. Uh, this is when he gave us the great promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we, it was our first week we discussed the founder of the church, that the church, capital C church, and every true church is founded by Jesus. And it exists for him and for his glory. And our worship is for him and his glory. And we spend time in his word, focusing on him and who he is as the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this morning, we are going to be looking at the foundation of the church. If Jesus is the founder, what is the foundation that he lays in the church? Uh, We'll be focusing really on verse 18, but I'm going to read the whole passage for us just to get the whole context. So we'll read Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20 together right now. It says this, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, earlier in Matthew, you said those who hear your word and do them are like those who build their house on a rock. And storms come, um, and those who are not built on you and your word and obedience to you, they, they fall away. But those who have trusted in you and heard your word and put them into practice are like those who build a house on a rock, and they stand even in the storms of life. God, we thank you for your word. It's a solid rock this morning. It shows us who you are. It shows us your glory. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be the teacher of all things this morning. That I would say nothing, Lord, that would take any attention away from who you are and your word and your promise that you will build your church. Open our, our minds and our eyes now to behold you and your glory in your word. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you don't need me to say to you that we live in an unsteady age. Uh, There's so many people and institutions and nations that are unsteady. We long as human beings for refuge and for constancy and something sturdy to stand on. And so, you know, we may look to a person for that. Uh, We may look to a nation to find that. We may look to an institution. But when we look to a person, nation, institution, there is inevitably this instability because those are people and they are institutions run by people. And this like instability can even happen to a Christian even in the church. There's an endless supply of new books 
and new ministries and new churches and new teachers and so and so discovers a new way of following Jesus and a new way of worship and a new way of practicing the spiritual disciplines and a new insight into the character of God and if you only listen to this podcast you're going to it's going to completely change everything about the way you worship God that's disorienting and without a true foundation as a Christian and as a church Paul describes what happens to us in Ephesians 4. This is what he says will happen. We will be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, what we need, church, is a foundation, a sure foundation, something below the surface that does not move, that when all manner of Things and chaos and ha- is, is happening above the surface, this, this foundation stays the same. And when storms come, this foundation stays the same. Psalm chapter 11 says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And yet, Jesus said he will build his church And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Did you know that the true church of Jesus Christ has withstood 2,000 years of utter chaos and storms and assaults by people and governments and Satan? And yet, here we are, because Jesus' church is on a true, firm foundation. Uh, One pastor put it this way. Nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands and then pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in its turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and is not yet consumed. And that is so good. And here we are the church, the people of God. And, and, and when the church is built upon the proper foundation, it will not be shaken. When a Christian's life is built within this foundation, they will not be shaken. And so this morning, we're gonna look together at Matthew chapter 16 on the foundation of the church. Uh, there's three qualities we see in this text of our foundation. It's, it, here they are. The church foundation begins with the cornerstone. The apostles are founded upon the cornerstone and there is no spiritual life apart from the foundation. So number one, the foundation begins with the cornerstone. Look again at verse 18 when Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, what's going on here? What is, what is this rock? Uh, if you are familiar with church history, this is a very, if not the most debated uh, statement Jesus ever made. Who is this rock? What is the rock? Is Peter the rock? 
Now, we know Peter. We know what he's like. Um, you know, it's not a very firm foundation. Um, is the rock what Peter said, that you are the Christ, Son of the living God? Or, or is the rock Jesus himself? Now, uh, when we look at the language Jesus is using, he's actually using a pun or double speak. I want you to see this. So he says this, you are Peter, and in, in Greek, that word is Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So he's, he's, he's using the uh, two kind of forms of the word rock. Uh, the, to further define it, what he says is, Peter is Petros, which means little rock. And Petra means big rock. What Jesus is saying, he's using a play on words. You are Petras, a little rock. And on this big rock, I will build my church. Now notice this. Jesus does not say, you are Peter and on you, I will build my church. He says, on this rock. Because the first most essential truth Jesus is bringing Peter and our attention to is this. Jesus is the rock. The first rock of the church is Jesus. Now, if you know anything about uh, a, the concept of a cornerstone, you know that in, when, when someone builds a structure out of stones, you know, which we don't really do anymore, we build houses out of sticks, we, but they used to build buildings out of stones. Uh, the, when, when you would lay the foundation of the building, the first rock of the first a piece of the foundation is the cornerstone. It's also known as the foundation stone or the setting stone. Now, this is significant. Every other stone is set in reference to that stone. Every single stone after that is set in reference to that stone. And in a literal sense, that cornerstone was the stone upon which the entire structure was built and it held the entire structure together. Now, what does that remind you of? Well, in, in uh, Colossians chapter one, Paul says this of Jesus. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And there's actually this theme throughout scripture of the cornerstone. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then look at this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 28. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Notice that it is not people that are laying this foundation. No man, no apostle lays that cornerstone. God himself lays the cornerstone and that cornerstone is Jesus. And, and what that means for you and us church is because Jesus is the cornerstone. We must never become detached from him. Everything in your life, everything in this church must be in reference to Jesus the cornerstone. Everything must be attached to, in reference to, submitted to, built upon Jesus. Any conversation, any bit of ministry or prayer or teaching or hospitality that is not in reference to Jesus is not a part of the church. 
It may be a good thing. It may be a useful thing. But the church is built with Jesus as the cornerstone. Another thing, you know, we talk a lot about church unity. Um, You know, what we need to be is to be united. Let me say this. We will never be united until we are all together focused on being connected to the cornerstone. When the only thing that unites a structure is the cornerstone. It would be like a, a, the game of, what's it called, telephone. You know, you, like, okay, I'll be connected to you, and then you'll be connected to you, and then you'll be like, we're going to get way off. But when we together keep each individually and corporately saying, we want to look at Jesus, that is where true unity comes from. Unity is around no other um, theology, no other teachings or worship style, no other building, no other person, no other group of people. The only thing that unifies the church is Jesus, which is why when we're going to be in heaven one day around the throne, there's going to be people who don't even speak your language from not even this millennium, and you're going to have more in common with them than, than your own blood brother or sister, because you will be united around Jesus. Jesus is enough to unify us. And he's the only thing that can unify us. And now one more thing about the cornerstone, who is the the one that holds us together. The cornerstone is a rejected stone. Every time that uh, this theme comes up in the Old Testament, when the cornerstone is brought up, there's this interesting thing about it. People never wanted anything to do with it. Look at Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When Jesus was here walking the planet, you would think people would be like, he's Jesus, for sure. You know, like we should worship him and trust him and obey him and do whatever he says. But in fact, we killed him. Because the the stone that we are all together built upon is one the world stumbles over. Our cornerstone, the foundation of who we are, does not make sense to the world. Because, because at the very heart of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what Jesus did and what we believe as a church is that our cornerstone was crucified on a cross. And that's just foolishness. Why would you be unified around a man who died on a cross? You know, every other religion is based upon the works of humanity. If you pull it off, if you do this practice, if you do that practice, you know the only one that does not is Christianity, where we say it is about what Christ has done for us on our behalf when he took our sins upon his shoulders and he was the perfect sacrifice. And if we just put our trust in him, then we will be saved. That is the heart of our faith. But it's, it's foolishness to the world. Look, at, look what Paul said in Romans chapter 9 about this. He's speaking of the Jews. They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. See, the cornerstone of our faith is an offense. The heart of your faith is an offense, that we, humanity, rebelled against a perfect, holy God. And the only way that we could be reconciled to God was if God sent his own son, 
who was perfect and spotless and took the wrath of God and died on the cross and rose again. And if you put your trust in him, you will be forgiven and saved. And if you want to follow him, you too need to deny yourself. You too need to pick up a cross. The heart, the core, the foundation of our faith is this rejected cornerstone. Now, that is the first and most important truth of who we are as the church of God. Now, the the second one is going to be maybe shocking to us as Protestants, but here it is. The church is founded upon the apostles. In verse 18, remember this Greek lesson we had? You are Petros, Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Now, Jesus did use a pun. He could have just said, um, you are, you are uh, what's Peter's other name? Simon. He could have said, you are Simon, and I'm going to build my church. But he used Peter's new name that he gave him for a reason. Because yes, Jesus is the big rock, but he, he is speaking to Peter, who did just speak this confession, and he is saying, you, little rock, I'm going to build my church on this big rock. Now, it is true that the church of Jesus Christ is also founded upon apostles. Look at what uh, Paul says when he's getting at the structure of the church in Ephesians chapter 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here it is. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, the church was truly founded upon these men, the apostles, and also the prophets. Now, what what does that exactly mean? Well, I'll tell you one thing it doesn't mean. This truth has been... uh, taken too far throughout church history. You may be aware that uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes that the office of apostle still stands. And there's a man who has the uh, office of Peter the apostle, and he's known as the Pope. And when the Pope speaks, he speaks with Peter's authority. He speaks um, with the, when he speaks ex cathedra, he is speaking with the same authority as scripture. There's a man, there's a billion people who believe that this, when a man, this man speaks, officially he speaks with the same authority as scripture. And they teach that the whole church must be founded upon Peter the apostle. And any church that is not founded upon Peter the apostle is not a true church. Now, we as not just Protestants, as those who read the Bible would say, no, no that's not faithful to what Jesus was saying here. And I want you to understand this because uh, this is significant for us as a community and this is significant for our own faith. Uh, first of all this, there are churches in the New Testament that were founded by other apostles, not Peter. For example, Paul. Uh, we know that Peter was the spokesman of the apostles and we see him functioning in the leadership position often, but he is always alongside other apostles. Um, Here's another one. The office of apostle did not pass on to the next generations. Uh, The only apostle that was replaced was Judas. Uh, His office needed to be filled, but after that, the apostles are not replaced. Um, They are, rather, when Paul is planning churches as an apostle, he commands Titus and Timothy to raise up elders, not apostles. He doesn't say, you know, Timothy, you're going to take my position as an apostle. He rather says, we're going to raise up elders to lead the church. Uh, Another one is this. Peter and the apostles laid a what? 
a foundation. Now, if you know anything about building, uh, you know, building projects, you lay a foundation how many times? Lord willing, once, and it's done. You don't, you know, let's say 50 years later, you're building a project, and on the fourth story, you lay another foundation, and then, you know, another thousand years goes by, and then you lay another foundation. No, the, the apostles and prophets were, uh, a, a found, they played a foundational role in the church. Uh, one commentator says this, this text says nothing of Peter's successors, infallibility, or exclusive authority. Here's the most important truth for us. The apostles' authority was not inherent. It was received. Peter was not authoritative as a person. Rather, he received authority from Jesus. We see in three verses Peter would go on to tell Jesus he would never die on the cross. We can see very clearly Peter was a fallible man. We see later when Jesus is being uh, about to be crucified, Peter just walks out on him. We see later in Acts, Peter is still held accountable to the other apostles and elders. And we also see Paul explicitly publicly call Peter out for denying the gospel. Peter was not an infallible man. He was a human just like you or me, but he played a special foundational role by Jesus to be the, the, one of the 12 apostles, technically 13 because of Paul, uh, to lay the foundation in the church. Now, now think about this. When the early church gathered, one example is Acts 2.42, did they devote themselves to the apostles? No, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is because the, the purpose of the foundational role Peter and the apostles played was giving us the New Testament, the word of God. They were used by God uniquely. We would all acknowledge this, that they were used by God to give scripture. And when the last apostle died, the apostle John, he was at a ripe old age. He died around 100 AD. The office of apostle ceased. The writings of scripture ceased. And church history has simply recognized that fact, that when, when Paul says in Ephesians 2, that was a foundation, the apostles and prophets, meaning guys like Luke, who were used by God to give us the New Testament, they laid a foundation, and after that, that foundation is now laid. It is a sure foundation. It is a finished foundation. We do not wait around for more revelation from God at the authority of Scripture. We do not look for other apostles and prophets to teach us more. This foundation has been laid, which means it's a sure foundation, which means it's a trust trustworthy foundation. This is the foundation that Jesus has continued to build his church upon for 2,000 years, the Bible, the word of God. And I want to say this, a church, as long as it is submitted and faithful and built upon the word of God will stand. But when a church begins to build itself on something other than this, it, it will lose its stability and if it does not return, it will die. Uh, this is why on Sunday mornings, we don't gather to hear people share their religious devotional thoughts or ideas. Uh, this is even why, you guys, I'll be honest, I don't want to share too many stories because I'm not the point. This is the power foundational. This, like, this is why we are here 
together, to hear from God, to hear the word of God. And, and uh, Peter, of all people, writes of what would happen to a person when they begin to drift from the scriptures. He says they lose their stability. Look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, he's referring to Paul's letters, which he refers to as scriptures. He says this, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Amen, right? Yep, that's true. Which, but hear this, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Church, we are built on Jesus as the cornerstone, and then he has gifted us, these apostles and prophets, to give us the word of God, the New Testament. And we have a sure foundation when we build our lives and our church upon this as our foundation. Now, one more encouragement for us. That's right, Fon Ray. Um, one more encouragement for us. If you know anything about Peter you know he was an imperfect man. And, and it is significant to say this, Jesus builds with imperfect stones. Isn't that an encouragement? If he, could, if he could use Peter, he can use us. He can use this church. In fact, he has always used imperfect materials that are then taken and shaped by his hands and laid down by him to accomplish his purposes. There's only one perfect cornerstone, it's Jesus. And the rest of us are scooped up by him, made into a masterpiece by him and laid into his church. I want you to see this whole picture. This is so beautiful. Again, Peter, who knew this well, tells us this is what happens when you come to Jesus. First Peter chapter two, verse uh, four through 10. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. I think one more slide, yeah, I think. As you come to him, listen, look at this picture. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, here it is again, behold, I am laying as in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, we have a little more? No, that's it. Sorry to cut it off like that. That is a picture of salvation in this metaphor of the church. We didn't used to belong to him. We were just like a rock outlaying on the mountain, but as we come to him, he picks us up and he lays us into his church, resting upon Jesus, the cornerstone. We now are living stones, fully useful to God. And again, if he's using guys like Peter who are denying the cross and denying he ever knew Jesus, 
He can use us. He can build this church and every true church upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles, and he can use us. Now, the third thing we see in this text is this. There is no spiritual life apart from that foundation. Um, Verse 19, he goes on to say this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, the big idea here, big picture, because this is is another very contested, uh, debated over verse. The big idea is this. Jesus is giving authority, okay? When we think about keys, we think about authority. If someone gets the keys to the city, he's speaking of authority. Now, let me tell you what the keys are are not. Uh, Again, the Catholic Church has taken this to mean that Peter has all authority, that the authority was given to Peter and, and then subsequently to everyone who's in Peter's office. And Peter has the authority in himself to pardon sins, to let people in the church and kick them out of the church. Uh, and honestly, it's understandable. Can we put that verse up again? I mean, look what it says. It says, whatever, verse 19, I think it is, Reynolds. Sorry, brother. Yes, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound. Or actually, let's not do the NASB. Let's do the other one first. Uh, this is the ESV. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It sure sounds like Jesus is just giving Peter, hey, here's authority. Whatever you say goes. Now, uh, that is not what Jesus is saying. The authority is not given to Peter or any person in himself. Here's the big idea. This authority is whenever you are faithful to Jesus and his word, you have Jesus's authority behind you. Now, we see this, first of all, in, uh, when we dig into the language. Now, the NASB, which, which is why we have it. How many of you guys are, have the NASB? Maybe a couple of you? Okay. So the NASB, their philosophy is this. We don't care what it sounds like in English. We're just going to give you exactly what it is in Greek. Now, there's a pro to that. It's definitely, the downside is you're like, this is hard to read because it was, you know, 100% off in other, another language. Other translations like the ESV or even the King James try to take in mind, like, what, what is the, how should the language sound? But here's the advantage to the NASB. Um, stick with me. This is good stuff. When Jesus says, whatever you bind, that verb is in something called the future perfect tense, meaning this, whatever you bind, shall have been. In the future, it, have, it, it will be done. Um, so here's what it says. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now that's like, what are you saying? This is hard to even like track because yeah, it's not, that's what the Greek sounds like. But here's the point. When we are faithful to Jesus and his word, we then have the authority of heaven behind us. That's amazing. When a church is faithful to Jesus and his word, it has the authority of heaven behind you. It's not saying, you know, you say whatever you want and then heaven has to back you up. It's saying when you're faithful, it, when, you, when you bind something, it will have already been bound in heaven. That is the big idea here. Therefore, no human being has ever been given outright authority to bind and loose anything. But when humans, in particular the church, is faithful to Jesus, they have the authority of heaven behind them. Now, now this is important practically for our church, for every faithful church. Um, 
we believe the Bible teaches this concept that we hate called church discipline, right? Um, and, and here's the big picture. The church is to be a tool when someone is in sin and they're, and they're not repenting of their sin. The church is to go through a process. And if at the end of this process, this person does not repent with the authority of heaven, the church is able to say to that person, hey, you are not of the church. We do not recognize you as belonging to Jesus. You are now placed out of that structure. And that's a significant, significant idea. Um, I want you to see it in scripture so you know that we're not just making this up. Um, A few chapters later in Matthew 18, Jesus explains this idea. And I'll give you the context and then we'll look at the specifics. He says, if someone sins, go to them. And and here's, here's what the New Testament first teaches. If someone sins against you, forgive them. Don't even bring it up. If love covers a multitude of sins. Now, there are some sins that are significant enough that they need to be addressed. And if that's the case, uh, you are not to go to any other person. You're not even to go to an elder. Uh, honestly, a counselor. You're to go to that person and say, hey, you've sinned against me. And that person, Lord willing, if they're saved and the spirit of God's in them, they're able to hear that and say, I am so sorry. And then you forgive one another and you move on. That's what happens here as the church. Now, let's say that person is not willing to accept that. Then the Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew 18, so then go take another person and then together you would go bring that up. And if they still refuse that, then he says in Matthew 18, and we'll get it here, uh, Matthew 18, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, quick pause. What he's saying is you don't just like kick him in the face. What he is saying is how do we treat Gentiles and tax collectors as those who need Jesus? The point is what they need now is evangelism. They, they aren't saved. We don't recognize their salvation. And this is so important. This is why church discipline is so useful because there may be problems in the church that are caused because someone's not even saved. And if we just are expecting them to act like a Christian, well, you know, eventually they may not. And the best thing for them is to hear the gospel and be saved and born again. There are those, Jesus said, who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of this stuff? He's saying there are those who think they're walking with him, but inevitably they will, you know, be unfaithful. They're not going to forgive. And church discipline is given with the authority of heaven to say, we do not recognize you as a Christian. And the best thing for them is to hear, but we believe Jesus died for you. And if you repent, you can be saved. And that person, Lord willing, will be saved and added to the church. And of course, they'll be willing to forgive offenses at that point. And so unpause, Jesus says, truly I say to you, he says, brings up the whole idea again, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. To just sum that whole idea up of the keys, it's this. When believers are in agreement with God's word, God is in agreement with them. It's the whole idea. When we are in agreement with God's word, God is in agreement with us. Now, I want to make this really practical. The point was this. There is no spiritual life apart from the church. There's no spiritual life apart from the foundation of the church. There is one thing Jesus promised he will build, and it's the church. He is the cornerstone and has laid the foundation and is building the church. Now, let me say this. You cannot be connected to Jesus 
and disconnected from his church. It is literally impossible. Uh, You cannot be connected to the cornerstone and be disconnected from all the rest of the stones because you don't like them. It literally doesn't work. Here's another metaphor. We are the body of Christ. What would you say if you were walking down the street and there was an eyeball on, on the sidewalk? You'd be disgusted and you'd say, that is not alive. That is literally the picture we get when someone in the body of Christ says, I don't want anything to do with the body of Christ. Yeah, I'm into Jesus. Yes, I'm connected to the head, but I don't want anything to do with the body. It's literally repulsive. It's grotesque. It's that bad. The body says that to be connected to Jesus is to be connected to his body. To be connected to Jesus, the cornerstone, is to be connected to all the other living stones. Now, this is significant, guys, because we're Americans, and we want to build our own spiritual life on the foundation of our choosing, on the church or series of podcasts that are according to our opinions. And yet Jesus says in verse 19, you do not have the authority to build your own spiritual life. You just don't. And that also means together, our goal as a church is not how unique can we be, how different can we be. We don't have that authority. The church is Jesus's. We, how detached from the historic foundation can we be? Our goal has to be how faithful to Jesus can we be, to our founder, how faithful to his plans and design of the church. We said this last week. The vision for the church is already laid out by one person. His name is Jesus. The design, the structure of the church is also laid out by one person. His name is Jesus. We don't have the authority to reinvent church for our generation. That's just not a thing. This is Jesus's church. It would be like walking into this, you know, 1900-year-old cathedral, and we're walking in the top stories, and then we're like, do you know how this thing should be built? And then we just start changing. Like, it's actually a joke. The thing's already there. You don't have that authority. That's what we do when we walk into the church founded upon the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets and 2,000 years of church history. And, And I'll just humbly say this. We are not wiser than Jesus. We are not wiser than his plans of building and what we should look like. Now, I want us to to see one last time this picture of the church all start to finish together in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is where you'll see your place in the church. Okay, so uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read verses 11 through 16. This is just a full picture of who we are as the church. He gave the apostles and prophets the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now to summarize that, we saw two chapters before that, the apostles and prophets laid the foundation. Now, ministers are that last three, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And what their job is to not give new revelation, but to teach 
the old revelation. An evangelist brings that to a non-Christian. The pastors, shepherds, teachers bring it to the church. And if you are in full-time ministry, so to speak, your one role is to equip the saints with the word of God for the work of the ministry. And now your role as a body, as a member of the body of Christ is you have been gifted a, a one or more gifts by God and you are to use that gift and the church grows and builds itself up together. That is literally it. That's the church. That's the whole deal. That is the picture of the church in the New Testament. Now, I'll close with this. I know we have visitors here. We always, you know, generally have people coming from out of town who doesn't want to visit Carpinteria. Um, I also know many of you have some kind of Roman Catholic background. And I know this too, that many of us will move on. We may move um, like the Medes to another faithful church. We may move um, to other churches throughout the country. Here's where I want us to close. No matter where you end up, find a church that's faithful to Jesus, that's faithful to proclaim the word of God, that is submitted to Jesus and his authority, submitted to the the authority of the under shepherds who are just trying to be faithful to Jesus and his word above all else. Don't look to have your needs met. Uh, That is a byproduct of a healthy church, but it will kill It is man worship when you walk in thinking, how can this be about me? What's the style of music? How entertaining is the teaching? What programs are available for me and my family and my generation? Prioritize faithfulness to Jesus and life will flow. When a church is faithful to Jesus, its members are alive and well. They're growing, they're strong, they're serving, they're sacrificing, they're evangelizing. The church is built up. Here's how I want to end, end. In the book of Revelation, there is this picture when Jesus returns of the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And and it says that that new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. It's a picture of the church fully mature. And so I want us just to look together at a few verses in Revelation 21. This is where we're going, church. This is where we will see ourselves one day. We'll look at this verse and then we'll close together. In fact, if you have a Bible, turn there. It's, it's too good. Revelation chapter 21. Oh. I'm going to read more than we have a slide. I'm going to read 1 through 9. So we'll close with these words. Out of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 9. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the 
cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now keep reading. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, which pause, that's their place. The Old Testament saints, here they are in their place as the people of God and the gates. Verse 14, uh, verse 13, and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And I'll just stop right there. Jesus, thank you that you are building your church and will build your church. And the day is coming when we will be joined with your people. From the Old Testament and all throughout church history, we will be built into your holy bride. And and we will have our place, Jesus, next to Peter and John and missionaries who've laid down their life throughout church history next to Abraham and Isaac. And together we will be built upon you, Jesus. And we'll be singing of our founder and perfecter and finisher of our faith, Jesus. Jesus, I ask that you would make this church more in love with you as our founder and and more rested upon you as our cornerstone, as our foundation. Jesus, I pray that we would learn to crave your word, be built up on that foundation of your word, that we would not look for um, soul candy, as it were, something that feels good in the moment but gives us nothing nourishing. Would we hunger and thirst for your word and your righteousness, that we would be built up, that we would grow to be more stable, that when a new doctrine or cunning or philosophy comes along, we're able to say, no, I'm not moving with that. I'm sticking here with with Jesus and his people. Lord, build up your church. And I thank you, God, that uh, this is not dependent upon us. We are built by you. You are the builder. We are simply picked up by you and placed in your church. Thank you that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you that we have a sure foundation. 